that's the that's where the uh, mental health part comes in for people of color and, and, you know, people who are marginalized is that you don't know when or where somebody is going to show their disdain for you or how they're going to show it. You're literally um, walking through a long hall and you know there's booby traps and you don't know when the booby trap is going to pop up. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Welcome back, everyone. Today and next week, we are talking with C. Davis, a woman who is making waves in the deconstruction community through her accounts, Deconstructing Black and Deconstructing Colors. And not only is her voice extremely invaluable in all these conversations about Christianity and evangelicalism and race and politics and purity culture, she also just brings so much love and compassion and kindness to those conversations so we're extremely grateful to have her here with us for these two episodes. Uh, welcome, C. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. You said invaluable. I just blushed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. This I'm is grateful be fun. to be here. Well, good. Well, see, we're honored to have a chance to talk to you uh, about your experience within the church, uh, especially as a woman of color. Um, and we're going to talk about racism both inside and outside of the church. But before we get into that deep, dark topic, uh, Melanie mentioned at the beginning that you run Deconstructing Black and Deconstructing Colors. There's obviously a story there. So can you share just a little bit about your faith journey and how it led you to starting those two accounts? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, Deconstructing Black basically goes over the things that matter to me personally and um, just a demonstration of a life without religion or without a, a established or systemic religion um, and demonstrate uh, a personal growth journey. And then Deconstructing Colors is going to be more of an information page. It's going to be activism for all margina marginalized communities uh, in a way that promotes togetherness and truth and truth. Because, um, you know, I can be kind. Yes, I am. Tr I have truckloads of compassion, but I noticed that truth definitely is important a lot of the time and sometimes that can be uncomfortable um but it, initially it's to promote togetherness and um i'll have workshops interviews giveaways challenges news uh insight on all cultures and beliefs so that everyone begins to understand each other no arguments you know no 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 debating just learning so that's what that's going to be about. But I grew up in an evangelical church and it was majority black. You know, it wasn't anything odd to me at the time, you know, because really I was looking for God. I was looking for Jesus. I wasn't really focused on 
who was in a building. Eventually, I went to this one church where I helped build it from the ground up. We started in a little community center, feeding the homeless every Sunday. Every Saturday, we would go out on the different blocks in the neighborhood and ask people what they needed and uh, help them get what they needed. Whether it was um, a refrigerator, some people didn't have electricity. Mm. And this was in San Bernardino, California. Wow. But I started um, to notice things, you know, were, were different when I, I moved away. I moved away and I noticed that nobody contacted me from my church. Hmm. And I had been there for years. I lived in the Palm Springs area and the church was, of course, an hour and a half away from me at that point. So getting there was a struggle. And after a while, I just stopped going and I didn't hear from anybody. So I started reading my Bible myself. Hmm. Well, (laughs) I started looking at the holidays and wondering, you know, are we even supposed to be bothered? I started looking at the Jewish traditions. I started to look at the Torah. And the first thing that got to me was the name of Jesus, that his name wasn't Jesus. (laughs) And I was like, if we're not even saying his name right, what else are we getting wrong? Well, that I'm sure opened up a wormhole. Oh, yes, it did. So <laughs> I, I looked into something called the Nazarite vow because I was trying to find out how to practice my belief properly, like to the T. Is that the one that Samson took? Or is- yes. Okay. Like mm-hmm. no, yeah. no booze, yeah. don't cut your hair, mm-hmm. don't touch dead mm-hmm. things. Yep. Don't yeah. go to Numbers, churches. I think that's important. number six. Um, so I took that, you know, I, I did a vow, you know, I, I talked to God and I was like, uh, I want to wholeheartedly be all the way in, like no, none of this entertainment stuff, just, you know, none of this extra stuff. But when I took that Nazarite vow, I started to see, I can't do this shit. I can't do the Nazarite vow. I can't keep the Sabbath. So that's when I ran into a radio station that was talking about that, about, because I thought to myself, why, if we're supposed to be getting closer to holiness and righteousness and being this pure being, why is it that in the church it's not happening? Why are so many people still cheating on their wives, beating on each other, uh, you know, living one way in on Sunday and living another way on Saturday. So I listened to this sermon, and here I thought this was God, okay? I heard this sermon on the radio about, you can't do it. That's right. You have to let the Holy Spirit do it. And I was like, oh, that's where the problem is. I'm not you know, seeking after the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is supposed to uh, bring you from faith to faith, glory to glory, and, and, and be uh, uh, constantly cleansing. So you're getting closer and closer each time that you have that, um, you know, that inner working of the Holy Spirit guiding you. 
um, and you rely on the sacrifice of Christ for everything else. So I was just like, okay, that makes it a little easier. But then I started looking at the Sabbath and I said, well, I'm not going to church on Sundays anymore because that's not the real Sabbath. I'm not going to practice these, you know, holidays anymore because those aren't the holidays that we're supposed to be observing as believers in Jesus you know, a, <laughs> a man from a uh, predominantly Jewish region, you know, and um, well, actually, it, he ended up in a, a what, a, a Roman region. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so um, those things didn't add up. And I started to try to follow the Sabbath. So I went to a Seventh-day Adventist church. I was like, well, this is as close as I'm going to get for now. One Sunday, the preacher puts up a video of Jesus walking through a field and picking the tops of the wheat. Well, he wasn't doing it. It was the uh, disciples that were picking the tops of the wheat. And of course, the uh, clergy came to him and was, you know, raising a ruckus by saying, uh, look, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They're picking the wheat. And the Jesus in the film, <laughs> um, you know, the proverbial long hair, bearded, hippie dude, yeah. uh, <laughs> said, um, I am the Sabbath. And I said, okay. So I got up and left. It resonated this thing that, that gave me the idea that you, he's a symbol. Hmm. I'm trying to follow a symbol, a representation of something that's already in me. And so I, I didn't let it go completely at that point. I was still looking. I was still trying to find something. So at that point, I said, well, then I need to know if this Jesus existed. So I looked at Pliny and his writings weren't clear you know, and Tacticus and his writings weren't clear either. And the time frame in which their, you know, their commentary was, wasn't really helpful to me. So I kept looking, but I, I couldn't find anything. Looking for what exactly? For substantial evidence of the existence of Jesus Christ. Hmm. I still haven't found it yet. And I'm still open to finding it, but I haven't found it yet. What, what would be substantial evidence? Someone who was there, hmm. someone who spoke to him directly, not speculatory or something written years after <laughs> or years, uh, you know, before even, I you know, somebody that was there. Hmm. Or something archaeologically substantial that says, oh, this is the guy. This is this is this was him. You know, at this point, I see Jesus as a symbol, hmm. like any other god or goddess, because that's what they are, really. As far as, you know, belief, it's more so I, I, he just represents something that we 
you know, elements of things that we should be uh, striving for and to be, you know, to, to, you know, to grow into, I think like Buddha or, you know, any other uh, representation of goodness, wholeness, balance, you know, we should definitely be striving for that. Um, so that's why I don't, um, I don't exactly have a disdain for religion. <laughs> um, it served its purpose in my life and, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a bad experience for me initially, mm-hmm. but I saw that it created an aftermath that I wasn't even aware of. Mm all the while learning all these different things, I was still looking. I said, okay, if, um, if I can't find Jesus, maybe I can find one of the disciples. Maybe I could find somebody that, maybe I could find something about King David. Maybe I could find something about Saul. Maybe I could find something, uh, about the, the Roman soldier. Maybe, maybe there's something, you know, that, proves that this is to be taken literally and and it's real but I still haven't found anything (laughs) (laughs) and of course as a Christian you chalk it up to well you know it's spiritual so you don't necessarily need anything physical you know to have faith no you you don't but I wanted to know my faith I wanted to if I was going to live it and share it with other people, I wanted to know my shit. I wanted to be able to talk about it, answer the questions and know exactly what I'm talking about and have something to substantiate it. Because I have a very big peeve and that is walking around looking dumb. (laughs) I don't like that. Mm. That's something that I really have always hated. Hence, I'm the kind of person who, if I need to be corrected or whatever, do that because I don't, I don't want to be walking around the dumb one, Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. you know? So that's why I'm so open to people asking me questions because everybody doesn't know everything. That's a given. We come here with nothing. Whatever we learn is whatever we uh, get the fortune of experiencing. And it's never certain what we are going to be able to pick up from, from our experiences. So I, I have a lot of patience for these kind of conversations mm-hmm. because, it, you know, how do you know if you don't, <laughs> if nobody told you? <laughs> Good point. Well, and that's something that I've noticed so much on your page is that you welcome people with questions. Um, and you're, you're so about like building bridges. And I think you mentioned it earlier, the togetherness and healing. And I think that that's so <laughs> noble of you. Um, and I'm not trying to say that to like flatter you. I'm just saying it because it's, it's really easy to want to, um, especially in like our climate in the U S today, just, other people or, you know, they're the bad guy. I'm the good guy or, or just say like rightly. So for a lot of people, like I've been hurt too many times. I don't want to go down that road anymore. I don't want, 
you know, it's not my job to educate you. It's your job to educate you, those kinds of things. And, and they all make sense to me, but for your, for your page is you've, you've been really big about, um, not doing that about not, um, shutting people down and answering their questions. And so I'm like, what motivates you to do that? And what, what gives you that compassion and that love for people who may come with you with extremely ignorant or, or just like ill-informed questions? You know, I noticed something from Christianity and this is what I mean when I say the aftermath of it, those little things that happen to your psyche and your mentality. And it's ingrained in our whole society and this in specifically in America, the, the Christianity thing. And because of that foundation, the ignorance is going to be there. You know, it's just, that's what Christianity does. Mm -hmm. It shields you from other information, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Huh. And then it creates this other really mentality that you get from that kind of belief that I'm saved, you're not. It's start, it started to permeate everything else in various ways. And so this ignorance is just inevitable to me. To me, when your foundation is what it is, what else can you expect? I don't expect a pineapple to, uh, you know, produce an apple tree. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> and, you know, if we've got, you know, a field of peanuts, that's what it is. It is what it is. I, I fully accept ignorance as a part of life, not a part of a group, because I could say, you know, I could label and say white people are ignorant to people of color, but people are just ignorant, period. Mm. And if everybody starts to recognize that on every side, then they'll actually be able to have conversations. The thing is, everybody's always in resistance to something, you know, in resistance to the ignorance. No, accept the ignorance so you can remedy it. <laughs> hmm. You know? Do you think that this has something to do with kind of the notion of Christian exceptionalism? At, at least mm -hmm. I, I get you're, you're talking about kind of human beings mm -hmm. at large, and, and I completely agree with that. I mean, I think education is, is actually the greatest gift you can give anyone because it opens their world up to the fact that their world isn't the world. Uh, I think that travel is another one of those beautiful gifts that we give people to go and see, even if it's just, you know, quote, the other side of the tracks that wow, we have a lot more in common than we do have differences. But especially as it relates to um, spiritual aspects and Christianity in particular, that does see itself as above and beyond any other tradition, any other spiritual tradition. Um, I mean, if you if you grew up in the church, you were told, well, we're the only ones saved and, and everyone else is the outsider. Is that kind of what you see and what you're talking about in, in, in framing it this, this way? Yes, and there's a reason. 
If you think of the uh, Europeans that came over and told the Indians, hey, we can make you do things much better than what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. That was always the premise, wasn't it? They went to Africa. They said, oh, we could make things much better if you just, you know, just trade us some of your people and (laughs) we can give you this. Folks who were just fine as they were. But because you think that um, your position is better and the idea of better, you know, isn't relative to you, there's, it's an absolute now. Right. Because my version of better is the better. And um, when it cuts into cultures, languages, societies as in, in, in entirety, you know, there's a lot of, it, there's a whole lot that happens. It's a snowball of just uh, removal. And it, nobody realizes how hurtful it is until, uh, until it's just a little too late. Hmm. Till the, to, till the, to the snowball hits the wall and it flies all over the place. Hmm. And there's a big mess. You know, so it's just um, the togetherness thing. It's a struggle because um, I notice any time that I post or that I, you know, put something on my stories regarding exactly the work that must be done to to get there. Um, my traffic slows down. <laughs> I think it's a bit exhausting for everybody, not just people of color, because it's such a big change. The snowball is such a mess and it's cold and, you know, the, it picked up all kinds of stuff as it was rolling and you're finding things and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with that right now. Well, yeah. Well, and not only that, it it exposes your own identity, mm-hmm. um, and it and exposes the people that we actually are. And and I don't I don't know that many of us, and I'm talking about white folks here. Um, I, I think most of us were educated under a very whitewashed uh, understanding of American history. Um, you can and say so that we again. have kind of two levels. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean we. We have two levels of exceptionalism taking place in white American evangelicalism. One, we're Americans, so we're good. Um, We do things better than anyone. We are unique. I mean, that is the entire story of American history, that Mm. we are the good guys. Mm -hmm. So we we don't talk about Black Wall Street. We don't talk about the Native American genocide. We don't talk about dropping two nuclear bombs on uh civilian populations in japan we don't talk about the imperialistic we don't talk about colonialism none of that and you are raised with this identity that you've been given that you're one of the good guys you're exceptional you're the best and when you actually begin to see that none of that is true none of it is true i think most people just don't want to know. Uh, And I think they're convicted, but they don't want to be converted. Um, And so they either run away or they start poking at you or they just, as you said, the, the, the followers and the clicks just go down because that's just not some, that's not this part of the story that I want people to know. 
is it is it is that true? Is it too simple to say that? It's tr- it's true, but it's like you know, I I understand why you know the exhaustion is there because you have to, like you said, you do have to look at yourself. So there's self healing that has to occur, but then you look up and you still see, okay, this problem is still here too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I I have to fix myself, you know. So I understand that part. I understand when people have to kind of go into the shell. That's why one day I posted, okay, if you got to take a break, go ahead. But then we got to get right back to this because um, mm-hmm. the window is open. I don't know if you notice. It's like so many people have access to all this wonderful information, and we have the ability to share this information so quickly. And there are people who are coming out who are saying, I am for this, I am for that. And when I see that there are people who are for bringing people together, I, I saw the window and I was like, you know, we need to do something about it. We really need to take the opportunity to do it. I look at the civil rights movement and they saw the, the climate. There was the Vietnam War going on at the same time. Such an uproar of different things happening. The women's movement were, were busy as well. There were so many movements. And so there was a window for movement. My ancestors, my community took advantage of it. I think that even though there's that work and there's that exhaustion, we just, we really can't forget you know, how quickly these windows close. Hmm. There's one thing that I saw from uh, the insurrection, the January 6th (laughs) event. (laughs) It wasn't that, oh, if it was Black people, it would would have been different. That's not what I saw. I saw uh, fear. I saw a lot of fear. And when I saw that fear, I said, that's when I was like, oh, the window's really wide open because um, that meant that they were seeing these changes and seeing people coming out and supporting Black lives or supporting LGBTQ plus or supporting the Asian community, seeing all of these things happening and changing and knowing what happened in the past, you know, when when my people fought in the 60s, they got results. They changed America. They weren't ready for all of this change happening. So there was this enormous fear. Very unfortunate. Because they were missing the opportunity to do what they say they want to happen. <laughs> I know conservatives who said, um, uh, you know, let's get rid of the race problem, this and that and the other, stop claiming race and this and that and the other, right? I, I, yeah, of course, I'd love to do that. I would love to be able to not be concerned about when racism is going to smack me in the face mm-hmm. while I'm at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's it, and, and that's, the, that's where the uh, mental health part comes in for people 
of color and, and, you know, people who are marginalized is that you don't know when or where somebody is going to show their disdain for you or how they're going to show it. You're literally um, walking through a long hall and you know there's booby traps and you don't know when the booby trap is going to pop up. You got to get to the end of the hall, though, because there's food there or your child is there. You know, you're trying to get somewhere. You're trying to do something. So you have to go through the booby trap and just hope something doesn't hit you. That's pretty much how it feels, you know, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. For I can say that for, you know, for many of us black folks. Can you give some examples of that just for people who are utterly unaware of that reality? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I went to dinner. Really, really nice date. Went to the beach. Uh, Newport Beach, California. This fine gentleman took me out for a lovely day. We are um, walking around one of the ports with all the boats and everything. And so we decide that we're going to go get some seafood. So he's going to park. And there's this old lady that gives me this like really, really menacing grimace. Now, I'm just in the middle of conversation with him. This is a mild version of, of what it is like. And she looked at me, but her eyes were like, you don't belong here. Why are you mm -hmm. here? Mm -hmm. And I felt it. I felt what she was saying to me with the look on her face. There's moments like those little nuances, mild nuances that happen. And they can happen throughout your entire day. Somebody can be staring at you just a little too long and making you a little nervous and uncomfortable because of it. Someone could ask you about your hair, mm. you know, you know, and it's just it seems like simple, but there's a tone underneath it that tells you they don't think you belong where you are. Mm. There's a tone there. The worst moment that I had was realizing that, you know, that racism is actually a thing <laughs> because I, I usually, you know, just kind of brush it aside. Uh, I was at a I was at a California pizza kitchen. My boss took me out to lunch and we walk in to the restaurant and it was like a movie. <laughs> it was like a movie. It was crazy. They all just stopped and looked at me. And I was like, what is going on? Something welled up in me to where I was holding back tears and I didn't know why. And I had a moment where I thought, you know, if I was hurt or if something bad happened to me, I don't think any of these people would help me. I felt terror. I felt really, really alone and, and really afraid mm -hmm. for... At, the, at that moment, I was thinking, why am I feeling like this? What is wrong with me? Like, why am I freaking out? Why am I having an anxiety attack or something? What is going on? But um, my eyes watered up and I was really trying to not let any drops come down <laughs> because I was like, oh, my God. We sit down at the counter and the guy takes her order, skips over me completely. She had to remind him that I was there. <laughs> 
little things because now it's not like before where if I'm walking down the street, um, a group of white boys is going to start throwing rocks at me. Although that's happened. Hmm. Um, Yes, I've had guns pulled on me by the police. I remember reporting my car stolen or my, my, my car wasn't stolen. It was the license plates. (laughs) They stole my license plates. And so I, re- I reported that my license plates were stolen, but I do drive this vehicle in this color. So if you see it on this car, it is my car. But I got stopped because a police officer, two of them were behind me and stopped me. It was at night. I thought at first, um, I just stopped immediately and I turned on my light inside the cabin because I was like I don't want you know them to not be able to see me and I hate when they flash that flashlight on you (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I yelled to them my window doesn't come down so I have to open my door when I opened the door and saw them both with their guns drawn what one on one side of the car and I looked to the other side and I was like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) needless to say I you know I certainly was I was shaking trying to keep my cool but shaking and uh thought wow that's what it feels Mm. like huh Mm. very scary and these these things all happened in this century right I mean it's not like you're talking like oh this was the 80s like these things were recent yeah very recent very recent um uh, I was still in Palm Springs at the time when that happened. For the most part, I've been able to not directly experience, you know, like, you know, the really sinister racism. It was always that under layer, that nasty, nice, mm. you know, that, um, oh, wow, you speak so nicely. Like, <laughs> you're so articulate. Yeah. You, um, you know, wow, you, you wear the, your hair that way all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it grows out of my head this way. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, um, those little things are what would happen to me. Now, my family, my friends, not so easy were that was their road because I I was always in church and church was a shelter church was a shelter from racism for me Hmm. a lot of the time um if I told somebody oh yeah I I'm on the worship team at my church and I'm in the ministry and this ministry that ministry tones would change in the conversation they would be nicer to me all of a sudden. Their face would brighten up Hmm. because I'm a good, godly Negro. (laughs) Hmm. Um, The control factor is there. The idea that you are under control. You're a good one. That gets, you know, that that definitely becomes apparent. And it's like... um, wow, that's, I, I would overlook it. But at 
looking back, I'd be like, wow, that's what you really thought. Hmm. If I hadn't said that I was, would you have treated me differently? Would you have continued to have that nasty attitude? <laughs> it's interesting how in the church, there was a, um, a veil of ignorance, but at the same time, claiming the church veiled me from a lot of racism or overt hmm. racism. My brother, on the other hand, got the uh, hardest and shortest end of the stick because now he is, um, he is in jail for something that he didn't do. Uh, no evidence to support it. Admission from uh, the authorities that pulled him in that they omitted evidence in his case and they won't give him an appeal because of a law that was passed years ago um, where you can only make one appeal of a certain kind. And that was it. Huh. So he's tried to make different appeals from different angles because the one that would have initially helped him, you know, the judge didn't grant him uh, what he was asking. Hmm. Um, so we're fighting that still. And see, this is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, how do you not have so much anger and frustration and you know like I mean I'm I'm so late to the game on a lot of this and I like know that for so long I bought hook line and sinker the idea that like race doesn't exist and you know it's just being blown out of proportion and all that stuff um mm -hmm. <sighs> And now I'm, you know, like hearing these stories of how many African-American individuals are falsely accused, imprisoned, put on death row. I mean, I, I just feel the anger and the rage well up within me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's nothing compared to what you should feel right now. It's your own brother. So how, how do you not, how do you have that love and compassion? Well, you know, I, I, I can't get mad at say someone you know, I can't get mad at you for my brother being in jail. <laughs> you, it's not your fault. Um, it's the system that hasn't been updated to where we are now. Yeah, but why? Because so many of us white people uphold that system and defend it and try to claim that there's nothing wrong with it, you know? And that's where I'm like, how are you you're just a better person than I am, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the whole picture and exactly what, what kind of things are in place. For instance, you know, in my brother's situation, there's so many factors that would have to change. So many effects. And there's so many people involved that the only thing that would change it is a significant amount of people um, really, you know, bringing it to the forefront as a, as a, as a universal issue. 
Yeah. One thing I learned is that if we say it's a black people issue, mm. immediately the separation from humanity begins. But if I say your judicial system needs repair in general, the questions start coming. Wait, what do you mean? What's what what mm. what you talking about? Well, did you know that there are American citizens being jailed and, uh, you know, incorrectly. There are American citizens who are in the um, judicial system still awaiting trials. There are people in your country that is supposed to be free and about justice and goodness, and they are not receiving that. Well, 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 who, well who, who is this happening to? What's going on? Mm. Oh, uh, all kinds of people. And if you leave it at that, then they have a conversation with you. But if you say, well, is, you know, a good majority of them are black. Well, hey, you know, if they didn't, mm. if they wouldn't. All right. Well, they need to clean up their communities. <laughs> and not realizing that their community is in your country. Your country is ailing. There's illness in it. You don't go to your body and say, hmm, my arm, you know, <laughs> I just injured my arm. But uh, that arm is going to have to, you know, fix itself. <laughs> You're going to have to just work something out over there because um, you shouldn't have gotten broken. <laughs> no, uh, it's a body. You must fix it so the rest of you can function well. Because eventually that harm that you did or that harm that was done to your arm, it starts to affect the rest of your body. And then you wonder why you start complaining about why does my back hurt now? This is ridiculous. Oh, it's that stupid arm. No, <laughs> it's that you didn't recognize that that arm is a part of you. It's a part mm -hmm. of you and you need to fix it. And if you keep dismissing it, and well, the gangrene and the the rot and the blood clots are going to start showing up. And then you're going to look at them and say, well, see now, see now, look what you did. No, look what we did. Look what we did. We, us, hmm. all of us. There are things that the Black community needs to take accountability for. Are you surprised to hear me say that? <laughs> <laughs> There are things that we need to do within our own communities. The thing is, is that we know this. Some of us feel hopeless about it. Some of us feel unknowledgeable enough to do anything about it. And some of us, some of us really don't care. <laughs> some of us are just trying to live another day. It's enough for us to have to walk around and make sure that we're not making other people uncomfortable with us. That shouldn't be either. And the other has been ingrained in us as well. We are the other. You know, nobody wants to help us. You know, they they do the, the and a lot of the community, are they're in an uproar about the um, fact that the anti-lynching bill hasn't passed, but the anti-hate bill for the Asian community has. And quickly, right? 
yet it's you know one one is still there and the other one was very quickly acted upon yes. seems like mm-hmm. and this bill that they've been trying to get rid of has been almost uh oh how old is it what 150 years maybe yeah God. yeah it's it's i think it's at the it's past the 100 mark i think and mm-hmm. um yeah that's enough to make you frustrated mm-hmm. but i remember we're dealing with people i think that there are other things connected to that bill that would need to be addressed first don't know what they are <laughs> but with the way this system has operated for uh, my people and people who aren't in the wealthy bracket, because that's a truth too. And I, like I said, I'm going to be about truth. The truth is, is that it's not just my people that are suffering because of these things. I worked in social services for about seven years, and uh, the people who would come to me for public service welfare, they were a mixture. There were so many misconceptions um, that people have about people who use food stamps and things of that nature. They don't know that their own cousins are going to the county building. Hmm. They don't know because they keep it under wraps. The town that I worked in, what was it, a Almost an 80, 80% of families were receiving public assistance. So one in every four to five homes, I guess. No, I'm sorry. Four, four in every five homes. Three to four in every five homes. Mm-hmm. That's that hmm. backwards. <laughs> uh, so I'm thinking every other house has somebody who is receiving public assistance. But you're in line and you're downing the mother for using her wick, you know, mm. and and she's not, you know, it wasn't just black people. Quite a few of them were the opposite or considered the opposite, I suppose. And uh, they would also have criminal records. But I would notice a difference if I had a black clients who had a record he served all his time all of it if I had a white one he would get bamboozled as well into taking a plea deal which is what they did with all of them yet he would get a probation and be out earlier for the same offense never failed I've yet to see one that didn't end up that way wow had somebody who was a murderer white out and free had someone who was caught with some weed, did the full few years that they had him in there. And he was on probation for another four years. For marijuana. Uh-huh. So I was trying to get him a job. That was fun. <laughs> but it's okay because we can do something about it. That's why I have compassion. Because I learned that we're in control. But if I put that message out there on Instagram, my algorithm gets all the way jacked up. Mm -hmm. Because why? That cancels out the money for a lot of people. 
ultimately, I saw it this way. I have a friend who's conservative. I don't know if she's as conservative as she used to be being around me. (laughs) (laughs) But I always listen to her because I like to hear her perspective. It gives me an idea of how to approach people. And I think that's also something that fed my compassion for people who might appear ignorant, you know, and she would tell me about her views on Trump and things of that nature. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. And she's like, well, did you know that he passed this bill? And I was like, no, I didn't know that. Okay. (laughs) And he did, he did do a few things. I mean, you know, truthfully he did. (laughs) But that's not popular to say that either. (laughs) It's not, it's not. And the thing is, the truth usually isn't popular in a, in, a, in a society where people like to escape a lot. Hmm. I saw how we are all in the same boat. I don't really uh, like, you know, people labeling each other liberal, conservative. I, I don't like that. I, I, I assume you'll have, you know, uh, a liberal perspective, but you aren't liberal. You are Gary. <laughs> you <laughs> are Melanie. You are mm. not conservative. <laughs> no, you I are not. you I am not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what your mama named you, though, you know? Mm. That's not your being, When you go home and you're not talking about Trump anymore, what are you doing? You're making dinner for your kids. So am I. You're turning on your favorite TV show. I'm trying to read content so I can make another post. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and on Saturday, y'all plan on going, you know, hiking. I like to hike too. And you have a Trump uh, flag on your lawn. That's America. You can do that. Now, if if Mr. Trump flag on his lawn comes to my house and begins harassing or begins doing some form of harm or abuse, then we have a problem hmm. now because now you are you're still a human being. But now you are a human being not respecting my humanity. So. Like I said, I'm compassionate, but I'm going to be truthful. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, absolutely. I will never, ever defend evil. But I learned that people have a hard time overcoming or removing or canceling evil because they immediately dehumanize each other. Mm. They don't find connection in their... They don't find connection because of the difference. So my aim is to try to get people to own up. Okay, yes, you're racist. (laughs) (laughs) But also own up to the fact that you both like fishing. Hmm. And that that idea of who you are is not just one facet of you. And eventually that racism begins to diminish because it's no longer important to hold on to. Hmm. 
you are enjoying the humanity of one another more than being concerned about your differences. You're choosing another perspective. And in no way am I saying that (laughs) we glaze over racism like it's, oh, well, no, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is to combat it, we can't keep othering. We can't keep calling somebody out of their humanity. I found a lot of the time that um, folks who don't like someone because of a certain factor. You know, there's ignorance there, but there's also self-loathing. It takes a balance of, you know, being blunt and truthful, like you're an asshole. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But also reminding them, but you're human and we got to live here together. You're either going to be a knucklehead this whole time, or you're going to recognize that you are here, I am here, and we both belong. You don't have to hang out with me. You don't have to like me, but you're not going to you're not going to go behind my back and sabotage my job anymore. Don't do it. Hmm. <laughs> it's happened to me. before. Hmm. You're not going to call me all kinds of slurs. OK, you're not going to do that. You're not going to bar me from human rights. Hmm. Because I'm not borrowing barring you from human rights. Reality is everybody isn't going to get along, but we can get into a position of where we don't have to die because we're not getting along. Hmm. That's where I am. Hmm. I think that's a challenge for all of Mm us um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, not only um, does it come naturally to so many of us to notice differences but it's now been ingrained in us through society through the church Uh yeah and then it's been stoked through the media and through you know getting more clicks how do we get more clicks well we create outrage you know all of that is there Uh and so i think i love that that you see the oneness and the humanity and calling us to recognize like yeah sure we have differences but the truth is we have more in common than we do have different simply by virtue of being humans who live in the United States in the year 2021. Um, And we're probably in the same neighborhood. So we actually do have a lot in common. And I think that that's (laughs) such a good challenge. Uh, But we are totally out of time for this week's episode. So everybody, please stay tuned for next week's episode because we have a lot more to talk about. And we're really excited to continue the conversation with C. Um, See, thank you so much for your time for today. And we look forward to next week's episode. Thank you. Thanks, C. And that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And before you go, we'd like to ask you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of this humble little show. It may not seem like it, but it takes hours upon hours to create each episode and get them out to you each week. And whether you knew this or not, it's just me and Gary Allen with my husband, Josh, doing all the editing simply out of the goodness of his heart. So your contributions to the show will not only help us to continue producing quality content, it also gets you access to each show five days early. 
You get exclusive content and first dibs on merch when we finally get to that point. Every little bit helps, so head to patreon.com slash holyheretics to become a patron. Thank you. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge. 